Our scripture reading uh, this morning comes from uh, the book of Galatians, and I'm reading from the ESV, so I apologize if it's a little different than the NRSV, but uh, Galatians 5, chapter 1, or Galatians 5, verse 1, and verses 13 through 25 says this, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I feel like um, after that baptism, we could just close in prayer and go home. I feel like uh, I feel like I might mess things up from here on out. That was beautiful. Um, well, uh, yes, as uh, John mentioned, I'm here uh, because Thomas isn't. <laughs> um, but I've uh, I've come to be uh, good friends with Thomas. Um, in large part uh, because of my friend uh, Jack Skaggs, who uh, attends here, more about him later. But uh, Jack, uh, early after Thomas uh, showed up here, quickly said, Carrie, you need to meet this guy. I think you'll enjoy him. And I did, and I have enjoyed him, along with uh, getting to know John over the last couple years. Um, because he's not here, I'll share one little short story about Thomas. I didn't do this in the first service, but I've warmed up. Um, uh, Thomas came to speak at family camp, Laity Lodge family camp, where I'm involved, and uh, it was his first time there. He was speaking uh, for a Labor Day retreat, and he pulled up, and our staff helped get luggage and things out of your car when you pull up, or at least they were at that time. We've since learned that's very stressful for people, but... Uh, partly because of this, Thomas pulled up and, um, you know, our, these college kids come out, let me help you with your bags. And so Thomas pops his trunk and they go to grab bags and he's got a little carrier in there with a couple bottles of wine, <laughs> which is totally fine. Folks do that at family camp all the time, but he didn't know. And so anyway, our college staff are, get funny about it, even though they've seen it before. And, you know, there they are carrying his wine to his room, and he thought, oh no, you know, it's my first time speaking here, they're not going to ask me back. I said, Thomas, that actually confirmed that we will indeed have you back. That, <laughs> that actually helped, if anything. But um, 
Anyway, I, uh, I do have uh, history with Covenant. Uh, as um, John mentioned, my dad, who is uh, sitting down here, was an associate pastor from 1976 to 1980. So you can find his picture, as Jill called it to me, on the wall of shame out there in the hall. Um, and uh, then we since we moved away after that, uh, and my dad was the founding pastor of a PCUSA church in the Woodlands and served his career there. Uh, but during my winter breaks in high school, I would come with my friend Jack Skaggs uh, on the Covenant uh, Senior High Youth Ski Trip uh, every winter led by Greg Kennedy uh, during those years. And anyway, they were just some of the most fun uh, experiences I had and this church has always proven to be one of warmth and hospitality and that is proven to be true again this morning. So thank you for uh, having me here. And you know, in so many ways, my experiences here at Covenant as a child uh, and as a youth feel like uh, a lifetime ago. Uh, since then, um, my wife and I have had three kids. Uh, our oldest uh, will be a Longhorn starting in the fall, Hook'em, uh, here in Austin, which we are very excited about and very terrified uh, about. And really, one of the greatest uh, joys of my life, and I'm sure many of you can say the same, uh, has been to watch uh, my son and his two younger sisters grow uh, into the people they are today. Right now, uh, my son Seth is working as a counselor for eight-year-old boys out at Laity Lodge Youth Camp, which is hilarious. Um, helping them remember their shoes and take showers and all those things that we still have to do for him. Um, <laughs> And uh, I, I led, uh, had the privilege of leading his Wednesday uh, campaigners group, we call it. Um, uh, to call it a Bible study is a strong word, but it's something like that. Um, every Wednesday since he was in the sixth grade with him and some of his buddies. And this past spring, uh, we spent the last six weeks together going through the book of Galatians. Uh, one chapter each week talking about it. So I was thrilled uh, when I learned that uh, the series that Covenant is going through living the liturgical year on this particular Sunday, we found ourselves in Galatians uh, because it's been fresh on my mind. And when I read uh, this, this section from Galatians, it, it makes me think of uh, what I have heard called the four chapters of the gospel narrative. Uh, that if, if we think of the gospel in its totality, it can be thought of in four different chapters. And recently I was talking to uh, a gentleman I know who was contending, and I agree with him, that often in American Western evangelical Christianity, uh, we leave out the last chapter. It's as if uh, when we're watching a movie, this happens in my house a lot, my wife and I will, will be watching a movie and she inevitably falls asleep before it's over. And the next day she's like, hey, what, what happened at the end of that movie? And uh, in many ways, uh, we do that uh, in American Western evangelical Christianity. We fall asleep uh, before the final chapter. 
Those chapter being, uh, you know, we read in Genesis 1 about God, the creator, making all, fit, all that we see, the beautiful world around us. Soon thereafter, in Genesis 3, we know of the fall and the consequences uh, of sin that we experience there. And then throughout the Old Testament and the New is stories of God's pursuit of us, uh, most pointedly in the life ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So that third chapter being redemption. And then the last chapter is God making all things new. The work of the Holy Spirit today and after today, making all things new. That part, I think, I feel that we miss often. We can talk of creation, we can talk of sin, we can talk of God uh, doing his redemptive work through Jesus. But the Holy Spirit making all things new, we don't spend as much time on. And that's what this made me think of. In one Wednesday night recently, um, with those group of high school boys talking about Galatians, my son made a comment uh, in a rare moment of wisdom that made me want to stop and be done. Um, he, I asked, what, um, what do you guys think about this inheriting the kingdom of God business? When Paul says, if we live this way, we won't inherit the kingdom of God, what do you make of that? Does that mean we're not going to be in heaven? What, what do you make of that? And my son said something to the effect of, well, I don't know. I think maybe uh, the inheriting of the kingdom of God means like how we live right now. Maybe it has more to do with we'll miss out if we live that way on the abundant full life that we have our, at our disposal now. And I thought, oh, you're, you're on to something. That'll preach, as they say. So uh, in the book of Galatians, Paul too reminds us of that. Uh, 5.1 says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So this uh, book of Galatians, Scholar Shea, was written somewhere around 49 AD, not, not very long after Jesus was with the disciples. Um, and even in that short amount of time, it's clear that, that Paul was concerned that the churches of Galatia were experienced some level of what sometimes we call theological drift. That, uh, that now, um, Judaizers who, who believed in Jesus but, but also were saying that we need to follow the Mosaic law, particularly circumcision, which that was really fun to talk about with high school boys. Um, but the Judaizers are saying it's Jesus and these things. And already in the short time since Jesus, these churches are experiencing some drifting theologically. The main thing is no longer the main thing. And Paul is reminding them to stand firm and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. That being the yoke of slavery being anything that tells you that something other than love and devotion to Christ is needed in order to inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is saying, stand firm against anything that um, 
says that other um, things are needed. And uh, I wonder about uh, this happens, I wonder about how this happens today. In the life of churches, in the life of families, theological drift is alive and well. I know it is in my family. But Paul reminds us to stand firm, and, and I gotta believe he's reminding us to stand firm, um, not in a way that, that perhaps we in the Christian world today think of when we think of standing firm. Uh, this is maybe my biggest prayer for my son as he heads to UT, that he would stand firm in his faith. But what I mean by that isn't a stand firm of me against other things. I believe Paul isn't saying um, that we as Christians need to stand firm in opposition necessarily to the culture that, in which we live. That that the work is not ours to do to add to the division that we find in our world today. But instead, Paul's calling card was standing firm against the yoke of slavery, which is anything that says we have to be a certain way to earn Christ's love. And then in 13 through 15, we see how we are to use this freedom. For you are called the freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So we know that this comes from Matthew uh, 22, 36 through 40, where the teacher asks, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, um, if we read in Deuteronomy 6, that's what Jesus is quoting when he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Deuteronomy 6 says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In Deuteronomy, this is known as the Shema, the Jewish people knew that verse uh, in an intimate, daily living kind of way. They would have recited that around their tables. They would have recited that to each other as a family throughout the day. Uh, you can see pictures of Orthodox Jews who have a, a small box with a scroll in that box with scripture written on it. And that box actually tied around their head so that the scripture is on their mind, literally. This was, um, to this teacher who came to Jesus and said, which is the greatest commandment, this would not have been news to him. Jesus would have said, remember, remember the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
And this teacher of the law probably would have been thinking, yeah, 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 okay, I got that, yeah, okay. Good, I was right, got it. And then Jesus adds to the Shema and says, yes, but also, love your neighbor as yourself. Now that would have been, um, was revolutionary. I mean, yeah, he's adding to the Shema. He's saying, look, to take my yoke upon you is quite simple. Love God and love people. And Paul's reminding us of that, that that's what we use this freedom for. That's what we're standing firm for. That we won't get caught in theological drift. That the main thing, loving God and loving people, is the main thing. So how do we do that? It sounds simple, but um, we know it's not. Galatians 16, 25 goes on to say, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you were led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Paul says, walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. He's reminding this church that it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we stand firm and that we do the second part of the greatest commandments, that is, love our neighbor as ourself. This, too, was revolutionary. When we read in Leviticus, there's all these um, directives on, on how God's people built the Ark of the Covenant. It's really quite fascinating and boring, both at the same time. <laughs> but it's all of these intricate details on how this Ark of the Covenant was to be built. Then God's people wandered in the wilderness and carried this Ark of the Covenant in which the presence of God resided. And eventually temples were built around this Ark of the Covenant with a big curtain in front of it. And this isn't, um, tradition says, we don't know this for sure, but tradition says, you know, only when, when priests would go behind the, the curtain to view the Ark, they would tie a rope around their ankle in case they died upon seeing God and someone would drag them out from under the curtain. So, so that's how things people think maybe took, took place. That, that's how we believe, that's how the, God's people encountered God. And then we hear here in Galatians 
that actually God's presence is now in us. So Paul's saying, listen, stand, stand firm in the freedom to love God and love people. And you know how you can do that? You know why you can do that? Because the Father's presence, the Holy Spirit, actually resides in us. Again, to these churches, that would have been revolutionary. Wait, you're telling me that this God, this living God, lives inside of me. And I don't know about you, but that can become trite. Um, we can forget the power that that brings. The Holy Spirit working in us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. So this is the final chapter of the gospel narrative. It's not just that God created. It's not just that the fall happened. It's not just that God redeemed through the person and work of Jesus. It's also that God is making all things new now. So maybe my son was on to something when he was saying, maybe this inheriting of the kingdom of God actually involves more now than later. Because we have this freedom to stand firm, love others, make all things new by the power of the Holy Spirit actually working in us now when we partner with him. Let me pray for us. Father God, we do, I, I, I do not uh, presume to fully understand uh, all that you are uh, in my life, uh, God, how you work, um, how you take up residence in my being. I, uh, there are many days uh, when, when I wake up, it doesn't feel that way, but, but God, your word um, says it's true. And I know that your word says it's true um, in the lives of everyone in this gathering right now, that you um, offer your Holy Spirit to take up residence. And I, God, I pray that um, that revolutionary idea would not, truth, God, would not be lost on us. That only by the power of that do we have freedom to stand firm, to love you and love others. I pray um, that we wouldn't be Christians that are defined by what we're against, Father, but instead we would be known for and defined uh, by who we're for and how we love. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.